every time you're communicating, it starts with listening. You need to really understand who the audience is, where they're at, where they're coming from before you convey the message you want to convey. Welcome to episode number 65 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today, we've got a very special guest joining us on a very special day. This is Thanksgiving in the United States. Please join me in welcoming Melissa Mack, Chief Communications and Human Resources Officer at Kaplan Incorporated. Today, we're gonna take a trip back and expand on our mini series on communication from this past summer. And we're just gonna have a little bit of fun on Thanksgiving. Uh, Melissa's one of my favorite people in the entire world. So uh, welcome, Melissa. Thank you, Andy. I'm sure this is how everybody's gonna be spending their Thanksgiving, sitting around the family turkey and listening to our podcast. <laughs> the family turkey. The turkey was uh, being, being grown out back and they lopped its head off. <laughs> I wonder was the did they name the turkey? The turkey is named Steve, I think. <laughs> of course, we'll be having like a vegan Thanksgiving on our side. So uh, there you go, there you go. So Melissa, what what are what are you most thankful for uh, this year? Oh my gosh, I would say I'm thankful for my health. I had a really long four and a half month stretch with long COVID, and when you're in it, you start to worry that you may never get better. And uh, miraculously, I did get better and I feel 100% now. But I'll tell you, something like that makes you appreciate how important your health is and how lucky you are to have it. And I am never going to take it for granted. Well, thanks for sharing that, uh, because I, I'm uh, personally a bit disturbed by uh, how fast everybody is just kind of moving on uh, after two and a half years of uh, of a pandemic, uh, and you know a million plus people died, and 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 a lot of folks are just on to okay, what's next? Um, yeah. And you know your story about long COVID is a good one, just to you know remind everybody what a what a bugger that uh, that virus is and. How, how dangerous, dangerous it still is. It is. And I'll say one little plug, which is I'm super healthy. And I, of course, during this process, learned of a total huge number of healthy people who had terrible long COVID symptoms and experiences. And it's a reminder that you think you'll be okay. You may just be sick for a couple of weeks, but actually a good portion of people have these long lasting symptoms and you don't know if and when it'll be you. So it's really worth being safe, getting boosted, you know, and, and doing all the stuff that you can to make sure that you maintain your health. That's right. And, and, and to protect others. Um, so Melissa, as we do on every show, before we get started, I would love uh, if you could uh, tell our listeners your story. Okay. Well, let's see. I, started off working in public relations on the agency side. And I did that for a while and really learned a tremendous amount. I mean, I worked for a couple of agencies, one in particular, Howard Rubin and Stein Associates, where you had to move quickly and you were exposed to a lot of areas and a lot of issues. And you learned, um, you just learned on your feet. You just had to go, 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 go. 
It was a great experience. It really helped me learn about a lot of different areas. And then I started to feel like I'd really enjoy the experience of working in-house for an organization where I was a little bit more strategically involved from the inside as opposed to coming later in the process and servicing a client. I wanted to be part of the decision-making that went into developing a communication strategy earlier. And I got a call uh, from Kaplan. I was being recruited and I learned about the company. I had a lot of hesitations because at the time Kaplan was not performing well from a financial perspective. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it, but it provided me with a great opportunity to create an internal comms function and not just internal comms, but a function internally at a company. And I really liked the people. I started to connect with some of the people who had recently joined and I thought they seemed really smart. And so I joined and it was a fantastic experience. And I've been here for decades and Kaplan has evolved from this tiny money losing test prep business to this huge global education conglomerate. Um, And we've been on the cutting edge of education. I don't want to say reform so much as transformation. And it's been a lot of fun. And of course, you know that because you've been, you were on the cutting edge as as well. Yeah, I I, I like that phrase, you know, education transformation and how uh, Kaplan, along with, you know, a number of of other education, very forward leaning education companies have uh, have really done great, great work uh, on behalf of uh, students uh, all all around all around the world. Um, it, that transfer that word transformation is very important. Um, if you had to pick one event in your life that was like just a key accelerant, rocket boosters for your career, what would that be? I have to say it would be joining Kaplan, and it's for a variety of reasons. It was first of all. My, my specific role, that I had a, a, a role where I could put my own imprint on it. You know, there was no communications function when I joined Kaplan. They had like an outside consultant, but they didn't really have an internal function. So I really had the opportunity to spread my wings. It was just this fantastic learning opportunity. I learned about the business. I learned about doing communications in-house. I learned about the education industry. I learned about being part of a public company. I learned so many things. And it was just uh, an unusual environment where the attitude was, um, go for it, go go do it. You have a great idea, run. And I, I had seen so many companies where there were a million reasons why you couldn't do X and you couldn't do Y and no, you can't do this, or there's just gonna be a bureaucratic process. I love the fact that I could come in and make a difference quickly. And it was a huge accelerant to my career. And in fact, I never planned to stay at Kaplan Long when I joined. I thought this would be a great stepping stone to another opportunity. I'd come in, I'd be part of a turnaround team, and then I would go do something else. And it turned out that the opportunity at Kaplan was so great, A, because we had this fantastic team that was really doing exciting things, smart, fast moving, because the industry was at this point where education was on the brink of change and there were a lot of things converging at that time that made change possible. And it just 
it was just kind of a perfect storm of things that made me want to stay. I think the last piece of it was, I just loved the people. I mean, at the end of the day, you work with these people day in, day out, like family, you know, you see them sometimes more than you see your family and you have to like what you do every day and the people you work with. Yeah, I, uh, you know, a, a reminder for our listeners that we're talking about the very early 1990s and computing power uh, is really starting to accelerate. Uh, I, I remember a, a meeting where the former CEO, Jonathan Greer, uh, had this uh, running inside joke of, we, we just need to keep buying more computers. <laughs> and. <laughs> And, and I mean, I, computers were new, email was just coming out, yep. cell phones were new, all of these technologies that we rely on, but that we've now used to transform the education industry as one vehicle for transformation. These all, all these things were happening at that time. So we really had the chance to be the first at so many things. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, so let's dive into communication. Okay. Uh, Communication typically ranks in the top 10 on many lists of skills for the future. Uh, what advice do you have for our listeners on how they can improve their communication skills? So the first thing I would say is know your audience, right? Because communication first starts with understanding the context in which you're going to be communicating. So you need to know who are you talking to, what is important to them, what, what things are happening that are impacting their view? What is it they care about right now? All of that type of thing. So the first thing is know your audience. The second thing is, um, and it depends on what, what, the, what is happening exactly, but obviously you need to know the subject. So if you're communicating at a particular conference or you're communicating to a team or whatever it is, you need to have information about what it is that you're talking about. So it, it seems obvious, but sometimes people really come in ill-prepared and don't really understand how important that subject matter kind of familiarity is. Um, the third thing is don't try to impress, try to communicate. I know that sounds funny, but so many people get caught up in using language that they think is going to be the right language or trying to adopt the vernacular or trying to sound smart or trying to come off in a particular way or trying to look polished. Truthfully, the more simple, clear, and straightforward you are, the better, the better off you'll be. Um, and the last thing is don't underestimate the power of authenticity People really are turned off when you're not transparent and it erodes trust. And you may get, get away with that for a period of time, but the truth is people want to feel that they trust you, that they know you, that they can really hear you, that you really hear them. And that happens with authenticity. And there are times where authenticity may feel uncomfortable or where transparency is uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, it's like any relationship, whether you're having a, a communications relationship with one person or with a full team of employees, it's a relationship and relationships are built on trust. And so your authenticity and transparency are really, really important to how you communicate. Well, that's all 
just fantastic advice. And, you know, I've, I've been guilty myself of sitting in a room uh, with a message that I wanted to get across. And I'm thinking about the, how I'm going to say what, what quote unquote, I need to say. And it's all about me. Uh, and I'm completely missing uh, the conversation that's going on around me. And if I just open the ears and uh, close the mouth and stop thinking about how I'm going to look, how I'm going to uh, be perceived, uh, I think that that was a really, really great uh, lesson that, that you yeah. just gave there. I mean, really, every communications, every time you're communicating, it starts with listening. You need to hear first before you convey what you're trying to convey. And sometimes we focus so much. And by the way, this is true, not just when you're speaking to people, it's true in advertising, it's true in press releases, it's true in meetings, it's true in every case. You need to really understand who the audience is, where they're at, where they're coming from before you kind of convey the message you want to convey. Yeah. So. Um kind of next in line in our questioning here is, you know, many leaders ignore building communication skills in their teams uh, because they make the erroneous assumption that everybody already knows how to communicate. Uh, why is that a false narrative? And why is communication so doggone hard? Well, it's so funny because you're raising something that has been a pet peeve for marketers for years, which people, which is where people say, like, you know, some business leader or CEO will look at an ad and they'll have an immediate reaction. And it's like, well, I know ads, I see ads, and therefore I know what an ad should be. And it's, it's their judgment. In reality, um, communication is, is really hard to do, but people don't understand that it actually takes experience and expertise, right? It's just like when you're advertising it's about more than what your immediate reaction is or how you personally respond to something. It has everything to do with how your audience responds and doing the research to understand how they respond, et cetera. People under, underestimate why communication is so hard because we all communicate and people assume we communicate every day. What's different, right? I know how to communicate. We talk, I interact. It feels like a skill that should be innate, but it's not innate. And it's actually critical to anything you want to get done, whether it's building a culture, ensuring that projects succeed, getting support from funders, getting support from your board, um, galvanizing employees, um, working well with others. Communication is just so critical to that. But in fact, it actually is a real skill set that has to be learned over time and the different types of communication skills have to be learned over time. So you may be good at one type of communication. It doesn't mean you're good at another type of communication. Each of the ways in which you communicate sometimes requires its own skill set. It's very easy to underestimate how much work needs to go into communication, but it is actually what is going to make your business, your project, your nonprofit, whatever it is, that is what's going to make it sing. It all comes down to communication. If you fail at that, that is going to be your Achilles heel. So it's something that everybody has to succeed at if they want to 
move move things forward. Yeah, one one of the things that uh, that that I I started doing um, as a leader was at the end of the day, just sit with myself and ask, okay, I've communicated with all sorts of people today. Uh, was there a message that went uh, particularly well, and what can I learn? What can I learn from that, and how can I double down? Uh, but more importantly, was there a message that really didn't, uh, did, wasn't received, uh, uh, right. very well or wasn't received at all. Um, have, have you ever had that experience where you thought you had a crystal clear message, uh, and the, and the, and the message really wasn't, uh, received well or was wildly misunderstood? Uh, and what can we learn from that experience? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people have that experience. It happens all the time. I and mean, one of the most hilarious ones was when I was really early in my experience at Kaplan, um, we were invited to present at an investor conference and we hadn't presented at an investor conference before. And our CEO had this idea that he wanted to help the, the audience understand that our business was different maybe than the Kaplan you'd, you'd heard about in the past. He wanted to convey that we're cutting edge, we're sort of hip, we're relating to younger audiences, we're, we're innovative, et cetera. And so he didn't want to do a traditional presentation. And um, one of his deputies came up with this idea of starting every slide with a different Beatles song. So we all went to Philadelphia for this conference. Our CEO got up there. He started the first slide and the music was really loud. And it took him about two slides in to realize, oh my God, I have totally misread this audience. And they are not really loving this whole Beatles thing. And it's coming off looking off key. And I've got like 20 more slides to go. <laughs> and I could literally sit, sit in the audience and see the look dawning on him that this was a miss, you know. And the reason it was a miss is we didn't really think about audience first, right? Yeah. What is this audience looking for, right? They're looking for a specific set of things. They're looking for financial metrics. They're looking to understand the leadership. They're looking for all, you know different types of stuff. And the messaging was poorly received because it, it was a miss with, with you know, kind of where they were coming from and the context and all of that. So that's just sort of a, you know, we were all so young and, and we were kind of rookies at that point, but it, it was a, a good communications lesson for me. I should have, I should have picked up early these guys are going down the wrong path and stop them. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, that's a great example. Thank, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. I, I want to take a little bit of a left turn here and, uh, and talk about, uh, you know, our current environment of communicating with each other as humans. Uh, the advent of social media has created legions of, what are essentially citizen journalists who are reporting on and injecting personal opinions on every event of the day. Uh, you know, we're, we're my, my opinion, we're much less civil. Uh, we don't research. We're not objective. Things just, we, we toss things around. Uh, and, you know, what, what's your advice for individuals and leaders 
to teach both current and future generations about the importance of civility, objectivity, and the separation of facts and opinions. So this, you, you're hitting on something that, wow, this is a hot issue right now, and it's a really, really difficult issue. Um, and then I'll speak to it from two perspectives. One is the perspective of being a communicator and some of the advantages and disadvantages that that presents, and then being a consumer of information and what the implications are from the kind of perspective of somebody who's absorbing information. So interestingly, social media brought some advantages to communicators that didn't exist previously in the sense that traditional media may not be interested in a particular story or angle that you wanted to present. And what it enabled communicators to do was to go straight to the audience without first having to gain the interest of a particular set of, of journalists. And sometimes even, you know, I've even seen cases where journalists would write a story that somebody felt was really biased and they couldn't get a letter to the editor or a response of any sort. And they would use social media as a vehicle for responding. So I think that was really helpful. The timing can be immediately immediate because you have control over when you put the story out. It's not somebody else's timing, it's your timing. So that's very helpful. Yeah. And you have very direct control over the content of your message. And that's particularly helpful if you feel that your message could be misinterpreted or chopped up or misconstrued or placed in some kind of context that, that colors it in some way. So there are a lot of things about social media that are extremely helpful, and it enables people to also be very niche-oriented, right? Like if, if you're going to communicate only through traditional media, it may be harder to divvy up so many niches with so many different messages that are, that are reaching lots of different audiences with different interests and perspectives, et cetera. And it's easy and it's inexpensive. The disadvantages and the challenges are that social media has created an echo chamber. Yep. And that is because people tend to follow those whose opinions they agree with. It's a very natural thing. I respect Andy Tempty. I follow Andy Tempty. I listen to Andy Tempty's podcast. I follow him on LinkedIn. And what happens is that they start to rehear a certain type of information all the time. And then that's amplified by the fact that social media outlets are designed to feed people the kind of information that they're most likely to be interested in. So it really creates this huge echo chamber problem where people are not exposed to differing views the way they might otherwise be. And it's, it's amplifying that kind of information. Another problem is when you bypass traditional media, who are committed to fact-checking and objectivity, not that they always achieve it, but they're committed to it and it raises the game a lot, you become more vulnerable to inaccurate facts, biases, et cetera, and it's much harder to stop. There's not really a way to do that easily. And while some amount of that is the case with traditional media, they have been much more committed 
to fact checking and trying to eliminate biases and trying to be objective and trying to present two sides of a story. So that goes away. As a consumer of media, what that means is you have to be proactive in trying to seek out different points of view. You need to understand the biases of the organizations who are feeding you information, and you need to find ways of collecting information from different sources. You also need to try to understand whether those sources are committed to fact-checking and objectivity or the like, because you could be easily bamboozled if you think you're following something with credibility. And sometimes even credible media have a bit of an angle or a bit of a bias. You know, I, for example, like the New York Times and I like the Wall Street Journal. They have very different biases, right? Yep. Wall Street Journal is much more committed to capitalism and free markets and their their media, for, you know, pursues that. And, you know, the New York Times tends to be a little bit more on the liberal side. And, you know, I know this about all the different media and I try to collect different sources so that I feel like I'm not living in my own echo chamber. So I think I think it creates both opportunities and challenges. And unfortunately, I think it's contributed greatly to the polarization politically that we're seeing because people are getting messages reinforced, which may be extreme in their perspectives, may or may not be accurate, may be you know, not counteracted with other points of views. And so I, I think big picture, there are great opportunities with it, but huge problems as well. Yeah, I, I love what you've pointed out here, which is the obligation really that uh, we all have as both consumers and contributors uh, to be aware uh, of of those uh, potential biases and 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 uh, you know sniff those out uh, before we get uh, totally caught in uh, what whatever echo chamber is uh, ready to ensnare us. Uh, I th and personally, I think that's a really high bar. Uh, for for the population to to get over, and you know I've uh, I'll when I when I point one thing a point finger in this direction, there's three more pointing right back at me. I've been caught doom scrolling on uh, you know social media platform, and then I get you know half an hour later, I got to remind myself, oh, that's what the algorithm wanted me to do. <laughs> stop, put the phone down, look at another source, go do something else. And, uh, and that type of awareness, I think is going, it's, it's going to take mentors and educators, uh, leaders who are listening to this show to commit to, uh, to, to helping the rest of the communities that follow them, uh, see that so that we can all get better as adults, as humans and, maybe have some calmer, cooler, uh, more objective discourse. Yeah. It's also really important, you know, today when you're communicating as a leader, let's say as a CEO or as a, as a, as a leader in an organization, you have to remember that the people you're communicating with may come having had lived in a, each one may have lived in a different echo chamber, Right. So your words are going to be received differently depending on who's hearing them. The sensitivities will be different. The biases will be different. The 
interests, the angles will be different. And when you're communicating, you have to be very aware of that because you want to be sensitive to lots of different points of view. And sometimes it's very easy not to be aware of our own our own biases or how things that we say may be misinterpreted because we feel confident our intentions are good, but how we deliver a message is not necessarily how that message is received or how we intend to deliver a message is not necessarily how it's received. And people I find are often surprised by reactions that they get. And it's a very common a very common problem because people are coming from all these different echo chambers and um, it's sometimes hard to anticipate that. Yeah. Well, Melissa, this has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, Always try to keep things right around 30 minutes. Um, uh, As we close out the show, I want to give a little bit of airtime to the Kaplan Educational Foundation. Uh, You know, you are uh, as, as a leader at Kaplan, you've been uh, part of that uh, for a long time uh, since since its inception, and uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan uh, of the foundation. Can can you just spend a couple of minutes as we close out here uh, and describe KEF to our listeners, what its purpose is, and how they might get involved? Yeah, well, the foundation is just a spectacular, spectacular organization because you would be hard pressed to find an organization that makes a bigger impact on people's lives. And I feel so pleased by how transformational it's been in terms of our scholars. So what we do is we help low income minority community college students gain access to, gain acceptance to top four-year colleges. And the reason this is important is community colleges are really the gateway for first-generation college students in this country. And yet, many of these students really lack familiarity with the higher education system. How do you go about getting into a top four-year college? What's needed? They don't have parents who could guide them. They may not have had schools that have advised them. Some of the students in community colleges have come from other countries or from backgrounds where their schools didn't have college advising. So, and community college students have been overlooked in terms of philanthropic attention. You know, there are a lot of programs out there for high school students to help them complete this path. But once a student is in community college, if they miss that boat, There's very little in the way of philanthropic support. Our students come from places where they may not really understand the difference between a bachelor's and a master's and a PhD and a MD and that type of thing. And yet they, they are so smart and so driven and so studious, and they happen to be such kind and and good people. They really work hard and they've made their way into top universities like Yale and Brown and Stanford and Amherst and and many other, Mount Holyoke, Smith. I mean, I could name, there's just a whole bunch of colleges of all types, you know, state universities. And and they're succeeding. 90% are graduating and, and, you know, coming out with a really top degree. So 
the fact that these scholars have in many cases come from situations where they were homeless, they struggled with poverty, they struggled with abuse, they had substance abuse issues in, in their households. The issues that they've grappled with are so severe and intense that it's amazing to see them come out of those situations and make their way into future successful careers. And there's one piece of the foundation which is really important. The goal is for them to also help pay it forward, to become leaders in their professionals and communities, but also to help others make that journey as well. And we see them now going into communities and providing support to others in, in quite a few ways. And in fact, now the, the foundation is being led by a new executive director who herself was a Kaplan scholar. So it's exciting to see to see that happen. That, that's wonderful, Melissa. Can, can you please remind our listeners where they can go uh, to, to help out? It's kaplanedfoundation.org. And there are many ways to help out from donations to volunteering or mentoring or getting involved in some fashion. And I have to say a big thank you to you, Andy, because you have been a spectacular supporter of the foundation in multiple ways, financial and, and other types of support that you've gained. And we've really, really appreciated that. And I think you've seen firsthand, it's, it's just, it, it's a really feel good type of thing. And I know you've You've given a lot and hopefully you've gotten a lot from the experience and I think uh, others will as well. Yeah, Linda and I are going to keep uh, keep keep supporting and uh, and, and I, I encourage our listeners to, to find out more. Well, Melissa, it's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, my name is Andy Tempty. We've had Melissa Mack on the show. Today is Thanksgiving day 2022 uh this is the balancing act podcast uh please find us on all the major podcast services we're now on youtube you can get this uh see our faces on on video please like subscribe uh rate share all that fun stuff uh every episode uh we're out here to change the world just one nugget of uh of information at a time so thank you for listening